Amen. Thank you. If you have a copy of God's Word, please take it and turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, please see me at the end of the service. And uh, before you leave, we will make sure that you leave with a copy of God's Word. It's my belief that everyone should have a Bible. Matthew chapter 25, we're concluding our series on stewardship today. And today we're, the message title is The Faithful Stewards. The Faithful Stewards. We, we've lo- looked in God's Word at this idea of stewardship. And, and my personal walk with the Lord has grown as I've studied God's Word. I, I've approached it and said, okay, God, what, would, what does your Word say about stewardship? What, what does it have to say about this idea that, that I am to be a steward and your people are called to be stewards? And because so often as I thought about it, stewardship was so often revolved around money. But as I began to look at God's Word, I began to see that stewardship was so much more uh, than money. Yes, money is included, but as we've seen through this series, we are called to be stewards of money and resources, but we're also called to be stewards of the gospel. Paul said, I am a steward of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are also called to be stewards of our life. Uh, We're called to be stewards, as we saw last week, of the gifts that God has given to us, the spiritual gifts that God has given to us and how we are to use them. So I was praying, God, how would you have a, a series such as this? How would you have it concluded? And he led me to Matthew chapter 25, this, this great parable that Jesus taught of, of the wise, the faithful stewards, the, the three stewards uh, that he entrusted these talents with and, and what they did with it. So let's go to God's word right now and see what God would have to say to us today. Please stand in the honor of reading God's word, Matthew chapter 25, and we'll begin reading in verse number 14. Jesus says this, for it be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he, he gave five talents, another two to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Father, as we begin to explore this parable today, Father, I I ask that you will speak to our hearts. Father, that, that we will learn even more about what you have called us to do. For it's in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Right off, it's very essential for us to understand what God is saying to us. So let's first of all, as we begin to explore this story, let's see the parable itself. Let's see the parable itself. What is the context of the parable? Well, Jesus is, is preaching one of the great sermons that we find in the Bible, one of the great sermons that Jesus preached, and this is called the Olivet Discourse. He, he's, his eyes are toward the cross. His eyes are toward Gethsemane. His eyes are, are focused in on the fact that he is about to die, and so he's brought his disciples together for a last teaching, a final teaching before the supper and before the crucifixion and all of that. And so he's 
he's brought them together in what's called the Olivet Discourse. And his, his disciples asked him and said, what, what is the sign of your coming? And he, he talks about it in Matthew chapter 24. He, he talks about uh, what's going to happen and what's going to be going on in the world when, when Jesus returns, when Jesus uh, comes again, when the, when the final day happens. And, and he says, ultimately, the ultimate thing that's going to take place for uh, the end to come is that the gospel will be presented around the world. The gospel will be heard around the world. And may I remind you, may I slide in a, a, a prop for our Wednesday night service as we study the book of Revelation. It is, it is so true and so factual that we're living in the last days right now. These are the last days the Bible talks about. We we're living in these days, and I believe that my generation will see uh, the, the will, will be the ones who see uh, Jesus return. My father's generation, the generation that saw Israel become a nation, that generation will not pass, but see the Lord coming again. We'll see that that great day of God return. So we know that we're living in the last days. We we can talk about the earthquakes in divers places. Jesus said in the last days there'll be earthquakes in divers places. That doesn't mean earthquakes where you scuba dive. That means earthquakes where earthquakes should not happen. Did you hear just last week that Dallas had an earthquake? Dallas, Texas, we lived in Dallas for seven years. There should be no earthquakes in Dallas. There's tornadoes and there's windstorms and there's all of this. There shouldn't be earthquakes in Dallas, but uh, Dallas experienced a very large earthquake just a few days ago. Why is that? Well, Jesus predicted. He said there's going to be, uh, the, 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 the earth is going to be groaning and we're going to be seeing in the last days wars and rumors of wars. You can't turn on the TV without hearing about wars and rumors of wars. What Israel is doing and what the Arab nations are doing and, and this and that and this and that. And, and all of this is coming to the fact that we're living in the last days. And that's the context that we find the parable that we just read. Jesus is saying that in the last days, this is how we should live. The parable of the talents is preceded by the talent or the parable of the ten virgins. Five virgins that were ready for the coming of the master and five that were not. Five were taken and five were left. You see, when Jesus comes again and the rapture takes place and, and the trumpet of God sounds, Michael the archangel sounds the trumpet, First Thessalonians chapter 4, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then those of us who are alive will be caught up together and meet the Lord in the air. And there we shall be with him forever and ever and ever. Not everybody's going to go. And this is what Jesus was teaching in the parable just before we get to the parable of the talents. Again, the parable is important to understand within the context. So what is this parable saying? Well, first of all, the parable teaches about a provision from the master. As we live in the last days, as we, as we live in, in the days where the master is gone, he talks about, I'm going away, but when I go away, I'm going to give a provision to my servants. In fact, the word here in Greek, when you look at it in verse 14, it's the word doulos. It means slaves. Paul oftentimes calls him a slave. He calls himself a slave. I'm a slave for Jesus Christ. And this is an important concept when we come to stewardship. You see, as, as slaves, slaves own nothing, right? Slaves are themselves owned. They are property of someone else. And so Jesus here uses the word doulos. Paul uses it over and over again in, in the epistles that he wrote to the churches. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. That means that we don't own anything. We don't own our lives. 
lives. We don't own our homes. Everything that we have belongs to him. It's the principle of stewardship. And so we are slaves. We, we're, we're not owners of ourselves, our lives, or anything. That God owns it all. And he's given us a great provision. We read in verses 14 and 15 that he went away and he found three stewards and he gave one five talents, one two talents, and one uh, one talent. He begins to apportion out his estate. Now a talent, what is a talent? This isn't referring to a talent show. This wasn't five guys that, that could sing and dance on a stage and say, look at my talent. That, that was not what he was referring to. A talent was a measure of silver. It was worth roughly $384,000. So the one who received five talents received just under $2 million. The one who received two talents received just over $750,000. Even the one who got one talent got a lot of money. He got a lot of, he got a lot of resources. The provision was there for him. And the point of it was that he gave, the master gave these provisions in order for his servants, the slaves, the, the stewards, to turn around and use it for his glory, to, to invest it, to, to make something of it. And giving out of the master's goods, to then turn around and say, Master, here is what we were able to do with what you so richly gave to us, the provision. But not only was there a provision, but there must be an investment. In order for you to grow the provision, you must invest that provision. The first two invested their talents well. In fact, when their master had gone away, he had gone so long that they actually doubled. The one who received five doubled it to another five. The one who received two doubled it uh, to two. The other one didn't do anything. He didn't invest it at all. He didn't use it all. He buried it. He took something of great value and he hid it away. He sat back and he said, you know, maybe he was saying, I, I only got one. Why does somebody else get all this other stuff? You can say, dude, you just got over $300,000. What are you whining about? But yet, how often do we do that? How often do we look at what somebody else has and say, well, if I had that, I could do all of this stuff. We look at somebody else and say, well, look at how God has blessed him or, or look at the voice that God has given her. I can't sing like that. I, I can't preach like that. I, I'm not comfortable in this situation. God has given all these other talents. Listen, it doesn't matter the number of talents, how much God has given you. You use what God has given you. As they say today, rock what you got. <laughs> that wasn't in my notes. That was just free there. There's a provision, there's an investment, and then there's also a day of reckoning. When it comes to the parable teaches us the idea of stewardship, this is stewardship in a nutshell, that with stewardship, there, there must be a provision, that there must be something that is given, and then there must be an investment. You must take what you have received, the provision you have received, you invest it however way that investment looks, and then we must understand that coming out of that investment, there is a reckoning coming, a day of reckoning. Look at verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of these servants came and settled accounts with them. And he had received the five talents. He came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. 
His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also said to the one with two talents, he came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me uh, two talents. Here I have made the two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. As we focus in now on this idea of reckoning, we, we, we see that uh, there was a day, there was a day where they were having to bring back what God had given them, what the master had given them, and they were giving an account. The master in this section was pleased. He gave them glowing terms. He, 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 he said, you have taken what I have given you, and you've multiplied it, and you've used it, and you've invested it. And so on this day of reckoning for you, well done, good and faithful servant. These servants must be so excited. Can you see the smile on their face when their master came back? And he said, they said, look, you gave me almost two million. I've doubled it. And here's another two million. Look at what, look at the, what, what has happened with what you've given me. And I don't take any credit. I'm a slave. I only give credit to the fact that you give me the ability to, to do all of this. But there was another servant who didn't fare as well. Verse 24 said, He also who received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. There's a sermon in this right here that because you understand the master is God himself. And, and this is saying that, that God, he's sovereign. God can do whatever he wants to whenever he wants to. He reaps where he is not sowed. He, 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 he does all of this. You reap where you don't sow. You, you, you gather where you scattered no seed. He said in verse 27, you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at the coming I should have received what was my own with interest. He said, so take the talent from him and give it to the one who had 10 talents. This servant didn't fare as well, did he? He didn't hear the commendation, well done, good and faithful servant. No, instead he said, you are a lazy, slothful servant. That's the parable. That's the story in a nutshell. Now let's see the point of the parable. What was Jesus' point? Every time Jesus taught a parable, that there was always a reason for him teaching this. There's always a point. And so the point of the parable, Jesus always taught parables uh, to, to, to teach a lesson, usually a single point. And oftentimes we can get into trouble as we, uh, as we begin to try to interpret parables and try to, try to make meaning where there is no meaning. And that's true of this parable. Some people take this, this story that Jesus told, and they take it out of context, and they, 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 they begin to say that uh, it's all about money, and surely there are definite money overtones here, that this is about money, but it's much deeper than that. It's about stewardship, this, this series of stewardship. We've, this is the sixth week we've talked about stewardship. And, and if you walk away from the six weeks of, of teaching and preaching and you say that stewardship is all about money, you, you, you've missed the point of what we've been trying to say. Yes, money is a part of stewardship, but stewardship is so much more than simply just finances and money. The bottom line of this parable is that believers are called to be stewards. Remember, a steward is a special kind of servant. He, he, he is one who is given the task of using the master's goods for the master's gain. A steward is a manager. He's a caretaker. 
And when this master left and portioned out his wealth to the servants, he was making them stewards. It was their task then to, to take what had been given and use it in a way that the master would approve of. And this isn't just for money, but this is everything else. And we'll talk about all that in just a moment. It was their task to please the master. Just as every job has a job description, it gives the bottom line nuts and bolts of what you are to do in your job. There's a job description in the, in, in the Bible for a steward. And as Christians, we are all stewards. You and I are stewards of what God has given to us. And the bottom denominator, the common denominator, the, the, the job description, if you will, of what it means to be a steward of God, a steward of Jesus Christ, a steward of this faith, the bottom line denominator is all about faithfulness. So the first point of the parable is to teach stewardship is faithfulness. To teach stewardship is faithfulness. Are we having that on the screen? No, we're, we're behind. Are the screens stuck, guys? Let's get to point number two, if we can. Uh, the point of the parable to teach stewardship is faithfulness. The first two servants in our parable fulfilled their role as, as faithful stewards. We, we hear it in the text. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. The one who had the five talents multiplied it. The one who had two and he doubled it as well. Well done, good and faithful. But the third servant didn't meet the job requirements. He was, he was rebuked. So we understand that in this idea that the point of what Jesus is saying to us in this parable is that faithfulness is rewarded. Faithfulness is rewarded. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the apostle Paul says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Whenever you see that phrase, mysteries of God, Paul is writing about the mystery of God. He refers to it in Galatians. He refers to it in Ephesians. He refers to it a lot. Uh, the, the mysteries of God, he's referring to the church of Jesus Christ here. The, 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 the blessing that came out of the filling of the Holy Spirit. And there on the day of Pentecost, people, uh, people began to connect in ways they've never connected before. And that's the mystery of God. And he says that uh, we are stewards of the church. We're stewards of this faith. We're stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, is required of stewards that they are to be found what? Faithful. Faithful. There's more here that we need to see, though, in this parable. Notice that Jesus didn't just say, well done to the faithful servants. There was more. He also said, because you were faithful in a few things, I will make you ruler over many things. That's the second point of this parable. Point number one is that uh, we must be faithful in stewardship. We are faithful in all things, but stewardship is also progressive. So the point of this parable, first of all, is to teach that uh, stewardship is faithfulness. It's also to teach us that stewardship is progressive. We must be faithful with what we have. As we're faithful with what we have, God begins to give us more. Again, look at verse 15. So often we skip over this. Verse 15, notice what he said. To the one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. What does the next clause, the next prepositional phrase say? He said, to each according to his ability. You know what that says? That says the master was taking stock on each of these three stewards before he went away. He knew, he knew the one who should get five because he had proven himself over time. 
He knew the one who should get two because he had proven himself in that area over time. He also saw that the one who was going to be lazy was going to get the least. You see, stewardship is progressive. As you're faithful with much or with little, he gives more. As you're faithful with more, he gives even more than that. Stewardship is progressive. We so often look past that. You see, even before the master left on the journey, he was taking stock of their heart. He could see the posturing of of, of their heart, even, even in the small things. As we begin to think about this, let's not think of this parable. Let's not correlate what he's saying here, because this is so easy to do. Let's not correlate uh, with this parable that if you're rich, that means you're blessed, and if you're poor, that means you're cursed. That's not the correlation we get from this. Again, stewardship is not about money. We don't give in order to get. We're not, this is not a wealth and health gospel that we're preaching here. The first job I ever had was... I was 14 years old. I had to start work because my parents got a divorce. I had to work in order to make money to help my mom pay for the house so we didn't lose the house. So at 14 years old, all my friends were out playing and doing other stuff. I was working. My job, it was a glamorous job. I worked at the Great American Cookie Company in Bell's Outlet Mall in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. Now, when I first started out, they didn't make me a manager. I thought they should have. Don't you know who I am? I strutted my 14-year-old body in there. Don't you know how much I know? But you know what I did? You know what my job was? My first job was to stand outside and hold a flimsy, golden, fake golden tray and say, would you like a sample? Would you like a sample? Would you like... That was so demoralizing. There was this girl that I thought was the prettiest thing and, ever, and, and she worked across the way at the toy store, and I, 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 it just, it, my face would just turn red because I thought, this is so demoralizing. I actually loved it when the owner said, here, and I had to dress up like this big, massive cookie, and I was happy because you couldn't see my face anymore. You didn't know it was me. Would you like a cookie? To this day, I can't eat at that place. But what I learned was that I wasn't even a Christian, and I wasn't saved until I was 17. I wasn't even a Christian, but I, I was faithful in those small things. I, I didn't complain about my job. I was just grateful I had a job. They paid me. It was basically minimum wage, I think, they paid me. I, I realized, I, I learned a lot about life uh, when I got my first paycheck. I said, what in the world is FICA? What in the world, what, 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 what is all this? I earned this amount. I should be getting this amount. I, I learned very early on, you got to pay taxes, render to Caesar, the things that are Caesar's. But I was faithful in a few things. I was faithful, and as I was faithful in those few things, it, 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 this is true in the business world. We understand this, right? What Jesus said here, that when you're faithful in a few things, then he, you'll get more and more and more. That's what Jesus said. That's true in our life. We, we know, we understand this principle, right? We've experienced this principle. If you're a manager at your place and you have a knucklehead who, who works under you, who just doesn't get his job done or doesn't get her job done, are you going to give them more responsibility? No, you're not going to because they're not faithful in the small things. 
but as they're faithful in the small things, you're going to give them more and more and more. This is a principle in life that we understand, but it's also a principle for God, and we so forget that. Instead, what we do is we focus on what we don't have and what other people have, and we try to keep up with the Joneses, and we don't even like the Joneses, but we've got to keep up with the Joneses, so we spend ourselves into debt so we can have a car like them, so we can have a home like them, so we can have clothes like them, and we, we spend and we spend and we spend, and we, we, we get so focused on stuff that we shouldn't be focused on. We're not faithful with what God has given us. And a lot of times we, 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 we moan and groan with what God has given us. God, you, 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 you didn't give me the good looks, or you didn't give me the voice, or you didn't give me, I, I, I'm too short, or I'm too tall, or I'm too plump, or I'm too skinny, or, or this or that. We always come up with excuses. And, and God is saying, I have so blessed you. Even if he's only given you one talent, that's a whole lot of stuff. Now, we don't know this to be true, but the one who got the one talent, all we know is that he hid it, he buried it. The concept here is that it was, he was out of fear. He, he, he may have looked at those other guys and said, they got more. I, I just, I'm just going to bury this, I'm just going to go along my way, and, and I'm just going to be happy with what I got. In life, we, we do that so often. We, we walk backward and we're not progressing and God wants us to progress forward. We can't understand this, this parable to say and equate that if you're wealthy, that means you're being blessed and if you're poor, you're, you're being cursed by God. Why is that? Because some of the most honest, faithful, God-fearing Christians that I know and a lot that you know don't have two, two nickels to rub to their name but they're faithful servants of God. It's not about money. It's not about money. There's many factors that cause a person to be economically poor, but, but we can't be focused on those things. Listen, Christian, your portfolio does not define you. If, if you're saying, I, I, I can't do this because I don't have the money. God, if you would just give me a million dollars and I'll do, I'll do all of this stuff. And, and yet you're squandering away the things that you do have, the things that God has given you. You're not using those. Listen, listen, we be faithful. We must be faithful in the things that he has given us. And God will bless us in that. Your portfolio does not define you, Christian, but your stewardship does. What you do with what you got. And as you're faithful in those things that God has entrusted you with, maybe you don't have a whole lot of money, but God's given you gifts. Use those gifts. You see, he's told us to be steward over our money, but he's also told us to be steward over our family, over our children, over the gospel, over, over all of areas of life. How are you doing in those other areas of life? Be faithful in what he has given you. The third point is to teach that stewardship is required. Not only is stewardship a, 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 an act of faithfulness, stewardship is also progressive, but he also teaches that stewardship is required. Jesus told this parable because he wants people to see that as his servants, that, that he's gone on a long journey and he's turned the kingdom over to us and we must be faithful with it. One day, though, he's going to return. And it's what we've already said. There's going to be a day of reckoning. There, there's going to be a day of reckoning where he settles the accounts. 
First Peter chapter four, verse 10, Peter writes, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If you're a Christian, you are a steward. There's no duck in the job. It's not a question of whether you're a steward or not. You are a steward. The question is, what kind of steward are you? Are you the kind that God looks at and says, well done, good and faithful steward? Or are you the one he says, you're a slothful, lazy steward? You're wicked. Jesus ties it all together here in verse 29 and 30. He talks about the coming judgment. For to everyone who has, will, be, will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's two ways to understand these two verses. First of all, that servant may have not been saved. That servant never knew Christ. I think there's a better interpretation of this because he's called early on, he's called a slave, which means he was a property of Jesus. This doesn't mean that if you, if you don't work and work and work and work, then you're cast into outer darkness and you go to hell. No, once you're saved, you're, you're always saved. But it's what, we, it's what we've heard from this pulpit for, for, for years that if God simply just saved us for us to go to heaven, he would have took you to heaven as soon as he saved you. But God has called us to so much more. God has called us not just, heaven is a pretty good byproduct, isn't it? It's a whole lot better than the alternative. I would much rather go to heaven than the other place. I'd much rather walk down the streets of glory than go to hell. Amen? All right. Are you with me? (laughs) But if God just saved us to go to heaven, then why is he keeping us here? Because salvation, there's so much more to salvation than than going to heaven. Heaven uh, is a byproduct, a very good byproduct, but yet it's not the ultimate. uh, what, What he's called us to do here in this time is to be a steward, to work. There's another interpretation of these two verses, and that's to say that in the Greek, there, there's a, a, the construction, the way it's written in the Greek actually fits in with what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. He writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, listen to what he said. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation, on Jesus, with gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work, he says, will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. So what Paul is saying, he said, the foundation is Jesus. As Christians, we all of our foundation is Jesus Christ. We're standing on the rock. We're standing on the solid rock, which is Jesus. And everything we build, we build upon Jesus. If you're a Christian, you can't help but to build on Jesus. Jesus is your foundation. He is your rock. But we all build with different materials. Some of us are building with gold and, 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 and fine things, the, the gold and the silver and the precious stones. But unfortunately, there are Christians who are still building on this foundation. Foundation, but they're using wood and, and, and hay and stubble. And he said on that day, that day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire that day when he comes, the, the, day, of, the day of reckoning. And he says the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll be rewarded with a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss. He says, though he himself will be saved, 
but only as through fire. That means you step into heaven and on that day of reckoning, if what we're building on this earth, if what we're investing in on this earth is wood and hay and, and, and stubble, the things that don't matter, we're not investing in eternity. Yes, we will be saved, Paul says, and I believe this is how we understand Matthew 25. Yes, we will be saved. Yes, we will we'll go to heaven, but we're going to have to walk through fire. Though we are saved, we, we won't receive the rewards. We, we, we were saved simply just so we can go to heaven, but again, we will miss out on so, so much. In preparing this message, God placed on my heart something that happened to me several years ago, something I, I've never forgotten. I've tried to forget it, but I can't forget it. It's etched in my soul, in my spirit. Have you ever had those life-changing moments that get etched in your heart and from time to time they're brought back up and God uses those? Maybe it's a thorn in the flesh. I, I, I don't know what this is, but so yet God uses this to humble me and to remind me of what I should be doing of the day of reckoning and that I should be a steward. I learned this principle early on. I, Growing up, my best friend in the world was Nick. <clears throat> and Nick was a a good friend. We played football together. We played soccer together. We, we did everything together. And as I grew up, when I turned 17, I, I found the Lord, or I should say the Lord found me. And I was running as far as I could from him, but he found me and he called me, he saved me. And my life changed. And the things that I used to do, I no longer did. The, 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 the way I used to talk, my, my talk changed. The places I went changed. Everything changed. And, and I looked around me and I didn't have any friends around me anymore. Nick was nowhere to be seen. Broke my heart. But I, I was dedicated to the Lord. He called me to preach. Got married. Moved to Dallas for seminary, Fort Worth. And went home one week to see family. And I was driving down the parkway. If anybody's ever been to Pigeon Forge, you know what I'm talking about. The parkway, the, the six-lane parkway with the meeting in between. I was driving down the parkway. I look over and I see a bunch of guys that I thought I recognized. They were stumbling. They were obviously drunk. I looked closer, closer and I saw that one of them was Nick. Not seen him in years. Not seen him in years. God spoke to me and said, Wesley, pull this car over and go talk to Nick. Get him in your car and take him home. I didn't do it. I had something more important to do. You say, well, what was that? I don't even remember where I was going. That's, that tells you honestly how important whatever it was that I was going to do. It wasn't really that important. But I thought in my simple mind, well, all these guys, they'll make fun of me. They'll call me a, bubble, a Bible thumper. He's, he's just going to reject me. Uh, I'll, I'll just do it another time. I'll, I'll call him when I get back to Texas and, and just try to reconnect with him, rekindle a relationship with him. Get back to Texas, and I find out the week after we got back from Tennessee, got back to Texas, and I got word from my, my mother. She called me and said that Nick was with his friends up at the sinks. The sinks are a place up in the mountains, uh, the Great Smoky Mountains, where you go and you jump off this big cliff and you jump into the water and you dive. Nick uh, was, was drinking and he slipped on the rock, fell and hit his head, and he fell in the water and died. I, I tell you this story because when I heard that, yes, my heart sank because my friend died. But my heart also sank because I thought, God told me, to stop and to talk to this young man. 
God told me to stop and to try to pull this out. And so my mind began to play games. And I thought, what if this? What if this? What if this? And God placed on my heart, and I truly believe that this is what we're going to experience. This is the, the going through fire. For those of us who are building wood and hay and stubble here on earth, Paul says we will be saved, yes, but you're going to be saved through fire. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be fun because we're going to see all of the missed opportunities that we had here on this earth. As I shared this story with you, I know that you have stories as well. We all fail God. We all mess up. God tells us to do something and we say, I don't have time for this. I don't have enough money. God, you want me to give how much to the boat ride center? There's no way I can write that check. What if this happens? What if that happens? God, there's no way I can give this or I can do this or I can go there. What about this and what about... And we begin to build excuse after excuse after excuse. Remember this. That stewardship is required of all of us. And we can't just put on the Jesus hat when it's comfortable for us. But as a life, the life of a steward... I want to give you four takeaways that I hope that you take away from this whole series and then we'll be finished. As we think about stewardship, there's four things I, I, I have gleaned from this series, this six weeks of stewardship that I, I want us to hold on to. The first thing is this. We must give generously. We must give generously. The Bible says in the book of Leviticus that the tithe is the Lord's. We talked about the tithe, and the tithe is not law. The tithe is a principle, and the tithe is where every Christian should start. It's the beginning point. It's not the ending point. It's where we should begin. If we can debate all day long whether the tithe is law or not, but the fact is God would not require for Christians something less than what he required of the Jews. And so he requires the the tenth, the tithe, the first tenth, is the foundation But then we give above and beyond that tithe to give generously. And stewardship is to give generously. And that's not just the money. The tithe is just not money, but the tithe is is of our time and, and of our resources and everything. Give generously. Number two, give faithfully. We go back to that principle we learn first things first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Let the first check come, uh, the first check of your income, uh, in keeping with this principle, uh, the, 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 the first check, the first tithe. It's the first tenth. The book of Proverbs tells us that we are to honor the Lord with our substance, with, with our, our possessions, with the first fruits of our increase, the first fruits. Remember we said that Cain and Abel, they, they both offered a tithe. They both tithed. But God found Abel's sacrifice acceptable because it was the first tenth, it was the best. Cain's was rejected because his tenth was the bottom tenth. It wasn't the best. The tithe belongs to the Lord. It's the first tenth. Tithe of your time. What, what, what time of your day, what hour of your day are you giving to God? Are you giving God your best time of the day? Or are you giving God the leftovers of your day? You see, the principle of stewardship goes so far beyond money, it's uncanny. And if you're not giving God your best, think about what he has done for us. We, we should come to God. If your best time is in the morning, you need to be spending that time with the Lord. If you're a night owl and that's the best time, you need to be spending your best time. That's tithing your time. The, the, the best, the first, the best. 
be faithful. Number three, give willingly. Every gift that we have, every possession that we have comes from God, doesn't it? Everything that we own, we really don't own. It all belongs to him. Truth be told, God doesn't need my money. God doesn't need my time. What God demands is my heart. And when God has my heart, then he's going to have my wallet. He's going to have my marriage. He's going to have my children. He's going to have my home. He's going to have my career. He's going to have my life. He's going to have everything. When we give God our heart, he takes everything. But so often we hold certain things back. You know, I truly believe that when we go to heaven, when we step into heaven, there's going to be people who are going to come up to us and they're going to say, thank you. And you're going to say, thank me. I I don't even know who you are. Who are you? And they're going to say, no, you don't know me, but you gave. You gave money to your church and the church used that for a mission that brought the gospel to my homeland and to my tribe. And I heard the gospel and because you gave, I heard the gospel and I am here now because you gave. Thank you. Scores of people, hundreds of people, thousands of people, perhaps millions of people who hear the gospel because we give. Something that we do, something as simple as as giving resources, giving finances, and how the gospel goes out, and how people hear because we are faithful in those things that God has called us to do. Paul said this, he said, when I get to heaven, my reward is going to be you. He didn't say that my reward was heaven. He said, my reward is you. When I get to heaven, my reward is is you. I heard Billy Graham told a story on himself. He said there was, this was early on in his ministry, early on in his life. He was in a church. He was in a camp meeting. This was before he became Billy Graham. And he was in a smaller context. And he said that the offering, it came time for the offering. And they were passing the offering plate. And he said he dug in his, his, his pocket. He said that, you know, I, I, I knew in one pocket I had a dollar bill. In another pocket I had a hundred dollar bill. And he said I was trying to go in the pocket with a one dollar bill. He said, so I went in my pocket and I, I, I was messing. And I finally got it out. And he said that I looked down and it was the hundred dollar bill. He said I couldn't, people were looking at me. So I couldn't put it back in my pocket and go in the other pocket and get the dollar. He said the plate was coming. So he said, I just put that hundred dollar bill in there and, and just let it go. And he said, you know, after the service was over, he, the, Billy was telling on himself here. He, he said, after the service was over, he went to his, his sweet wife, who's in heaven now, Ruth. And he said, Billy said to his wife, he said, you know, I meant to give that dollar. But I gave that $100 bill. So I, I guess that since I gave that $100, God, God will bless me even more. And she said, no, Billy, you're not going to get credit for $100. You're, gonna give credit, you're only going to get credit for a dollar because that's what you intended to give. How true, though. It's not about money. It's about the heart. And if our heart is misplaced, if we have a misplaced heart, then then it doesn't matter what we do. God doesn't need our money. God doesn't need our time. He's God, right? He owns it all. But what he wants is our heart and stewardship. The, the principle of stewardship is to come under his grace and say, God, everything I have is yours. You take and you use and use me however way you see fit. That's stewardship. Finally, give expectantly and we'll close with this. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive.
Have you ever played Monopoly before? People won't play Monopoly with me anymore. I, I, get, I turn into something that you don't like when I play Monopoly. I love the game, but nobody, everybody that's played it with me said, I'm not playing with you. There was this one night we were playing Monopoly, and I was just rolling. I had Boardwalk. I had Park Place. I had the railroads. I, I had houses. I had hotels on everything. I had all the money. I, people were landing on my property, and I said, pony up. My sweet wife tried to bat her eyes, and I said, honey, that, that's not going to work in Monopoly. I mean, I, I was having side deals going on. I had, I had cookies that were promised that was going to be baked. I had, uh, you know, shirts that was going to be taken to the, to the laundromat for me. And I had all this stuff, and I had all the deals. I had everything I wanted. And one by one, I bankrupted every single person around that table. I was the happiest person. I, look at me, I'm on top of the world. I had all this money, I had all this stuff, and I looked around, not one person was around that table. I yelled at the last person that walked away. I said, hey, we need to pick up the game. And they said, no, you, you, you won it all, you're still there, you pick it up. Sir, I was late at night putting up all the money because, you know, I had mixed the, the 500s and 100s and I was throwing them in the air, saying I'd rain them money. I told you, you don't want to play Monopoly with me. I had a mess. I had a mess. There I was picking all that stuff up, putting those hotels and those houses back, put it all in the box and put it back in the closet. I was reading the other day, James Dobson was was talking about Monopoly, and he said, you know, talking about a game like what I experienced that day. He said, there are a lot of people that live and die like that Monopoly game. They accumulate all the stuff. They're throwing money up in the air and say it's raining money. They're building houses. They've got properties. They've got this. They've got that. They're making side deals. They've got all the stuff. But when it's all said and done, they're left alone. It's all put in a box, and it's put away. And it really, really, at the end of the day, doesn't matter at all. What are you building, Christian? Are, are you just playing a game? Or are you just building up wood and hay and stuff? Or are you truly investing in eternity? Are you investing in what matters? Are you giving enthusiastically? God said, I, I love a cheerful giver. Charles Studd once said, there's only one life and it'll soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last.